called uh, What Moves You. So um, some of you guys probably think like a little coffee, maybe your legs, a car is what moves you. But um, what I really had on my mind is like, what, what moves me? Whenever I, I do a sermon, I, said, I ask myself the same questions. What moves me? What I mean by what moves you and what moves me is like, what moves you when you see people? This world's full of people, right? What in you says, I want to see these people receive salvation, see their lives changed drastically by our Lord and Savior. That's what we're called to do is we're called to reach souls, reach people. We're all called to preach the gospel to the nations, but some of us are not actually be preachers, but we're all called to reach people. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in the heaven and on earth. Mm, that's powerful right there. Amen. We don't have to worry. Heaven and earth is on our side. Mm. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Mm. That's just powerful right there. We are all called to go and tell people about the love of our Savior and reach people for the kingdom. But what I noticed reading through the Bible is that people that were moved by the circumstances around them had the greatest impact. The people that saw circumstances around them and decided, you know what? My people are oppressed. My people are bound. This is not what God has. Right? They, the people that were moved and decided they want to see a change were the people that were given the victory. Like David and Goliath. So this guy called Goliath, I'm just going over quick, 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 quick. Everyone knows the story of David and Goliath. That's actually, if you look it up, it's a top search story in the Bible is David and Goliath. In case you're wondering. So people do know David and Goliath. You want to reach them? David and Goliath. Um, but um, this guy, Goliath, he was raised as a child for war. His sole purpose was to be a warrior. As the Palestinian army and the Israelites' armies faced off, the Palestinian army had a trick of their sleeve, which was Goliath. Goliath went out for 40 days and defied God's army, the Israelites. The Palestinian army and the Israelites would not attack each other because of Goliath. How many times as Christians do we freeze and not attack the enemy in our lives and in our territory because they have a Goliath? What is the Goliath in your life? What are those circumstances you face where you go up to the army and like, you know what? I got God on my side. We got this. But then out steps a Goliath. And you forget who was backing you. And you back down, you cower down because that Goliath looks so much bigger than your circumstances. He was a man of war. That's what he was built for. Goliath mocked David, declared, oops. Goliath mocked David and David declared victory against Goliath. Right? We all are a David. You're just waiting for, God's just waiting for you to step out and say, this is my victory. Right? The devil will always mock you, always declare your victory against him. The devil can never come against you with anything Jesus hasn't already done for you. He says you're a failure. God says, I've called you to do great things. I'm going to believe God's word over the devil's word every day. Last time I checked, 
the devil fell from heaven. Amen. My God came down to save me. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 45 through 47. This is David, and David talking to Goliath. And David said to the Palestinian, you come against me with a sword, spear, and a javelin. I don't know, that's, pretty, uh, that's a pretty good arsenal right there. <laughs> but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Palestinian army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there is a God. In Israel, all those gathered here will know that not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and we give all of you into our hands. The thing is, envision your victory. David didn't go out there saying, okay, I'm going to fight him. He said, no, I'm going to go out there. The God's already giving me the victory. Now I'm going to cut your head off with your own sword. He envisioned where he was going. He came out with a, with a purpose, with a direction. Turn to me with Mark chapter 5, verses 30, real quick. So this is the story of the woman with the blood. Twelve years. She'd gone up and touched his clothes. Right? She'd planned on this. He'd come into town and she planned on doing this. This was what she wanted. This is what she, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Right? And Jesus immediately knowing in himself the power that had gone out of him, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude through you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the women, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him, and he told, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. When we envision our victories and we go after those things, God will say, that power left me. Who touched me? That victory is given to you right there. The moment you say, you know what? I'm going for this. This is my victory. Mm. David was moved because the Lord's people were being oppressed. And when he was moved, he decided to do something about it. He ended up facing Goliath with a slingshot and stones and ended him, then cut off his head with his own sword. Let me ask you, what moves you like David where you just can't sit back and not do something? I look out in the world and I look at everything that's happening and what's going on, and it's so easy to get defeated. But I think back, I'm like, God, you know what? You can use a guy like Peter, like Paul. You can use me. I don't deserve it. You can use me. Another story is Nehemiah. And he sees what's happening in Judah and his people, and he's moved because they're oppressed and the walls are down, and he doesn't, he doesn't want to see that. I think about those people. 
I work at a gym. Kids come in, we're community outreach, so it's five bucks a month for kids. And I see the kids that come in. I know all their stories. And it tears my, my heart. We had an incident at the gym, and out of coincidence, one of the kids that I, I was just hanging out with him day, talking with him, his dad that he doesn't know it actually ended up being the person that was involved in all this drug ring going on. But he doesn't see his dad. And we never told him. We promised we wouldn't tell anyone. But those things, no one knows the backstory of the people that you see every day. They could have the best life. They could have the worst life. So Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Therefore, this is um, Nehemiah talking to the king. He said, therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you, got, since you are not sick? There is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the places of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? What saddens your heart? What saddens you? Ask yourself, what saddens you? What do you see every day on a daily basis for yourself? That breaks my heart. Went to the Philippines and it was awesome. It's been a whole entire month there. We traveled all over these islands and broke my heart. Is um, These people, they were able to buy out this old hotel. And um, they used it two days out of the week. That's all they did, two days out of the week, because it's all they could afford on their budget. And um, what they did is they would go on the streets and they would get kids in the Philippines that had been on the streets their whole entire life and they'd bring them in for a day and love on them. And in the Philippines, if you don't have your birth certificate, you're not going absolutely anywhere. You can't get a job, you can't go to college, can't go to high school, can't go to middle school, can't go anywhere without your birth certificate. Half these kids, oh, actually all these kids did not have their birth certificate. One of the kids I talked to, he was 18, about this tall, and he was 18, and every single kid looked up to him. But his parents said, we don't want you anymore. You need to leave. They kicked him out of his house. I saw a kid at 12 years old. Middle of the night, he was having withdrawals because he didn't have his drugs that day. At 12 years old. That broke me. There's nothing I could ever give this kid but show them the love of Jesus. And it broke me, I had to leave. These kids were hanging out with them, they were just hanging on us. And we were just loving on them, trying our best to see Jesus loves you. Doesn't matter whether you're white or what, because they look up to you because you're American. I looked at them and said, you know what? Jesus doesn't love me any more than he loves you. He saw what was going on and was moved by it and wanted to see a change. He was tired of seeing his people oppressed and attacked by the enemy, and he knew the power and the favor that was with him. First, he went and viewed the damage, then came back and talked to his people. Always challenge, this always gets me is go downtown, walk, or act, not even downtown, anywhere. Go anywhere and look at people. You're going to see the damage. Guarantee it. Turn on the news, you're going to see the damage. So in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Then I said to them, You see to the disaster. I stuttered over all four of those words. 
<laughs> then I said to them, you see the disaster that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be reproached. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. And also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Sometimes it just takes one person to rise up and say that enough is enough. We're tired of being attacked. If you ever look, I've always heard this thing of history is one person that thinks you get a room full of people. First person says, you know, I have the best idea. Everyone's going to follow him as long as it sounds good, right? Okay, that sounds good. We'll follow him. It could be the dumbest idea, right? But you know what? I'm going to follow him because he took initiative. As Christians, we need to start taking initiative. Start taking back that land that is ours. The land that is promised to us. And he said, I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. He just needed to remind them that God was on their side. Sometimes I've talked to a couple, couple Christians coming to the gym, some of the kids, and they're like, man, I just feel so defeated. They, they go to the campus club and all this stuff, and they're like, Everyone just, oh, it's so hard to reach them. I can't do the things that they do. And I was like, you know what? Bro, God's on your side. I'm like, you keep believing him, keep digging in your word. You're going to do something great. And that's sometimes, it's all someone needs to hear is, God's on your side. Yeah. Right? Mm. Then in chapter 4, there was a plan by their enemy to attack them while they were building the wall. Nehemiah <laughs> Nehemiah had to remind them again in chapter 4, verses 14. And I look and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Amen. You guys, be reminded the Lord is great and awesome, right? On your side, and who can be against you? He reminded them of what we, they were fighting for. He said, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Being in children's church, pastor said it so, well, it was two or three, two weeks ago? Not last week, yeah, not last Sunday, the week before. He said, the world will attack our kids at a young age because they're malleable. Yeah. Right? So I see in children's church as I go and talk to these kids, I want to instill in them a foundation that cannot be shaken. At a young age, so we are. So I'm not having to go out talk to these kids in high school that have already been shaped by the world. That you're having to uproot trees, uproot hurt, uproot all this stuff to lay a foundation and start building off that. I'd rather reach them at a young age. Amen. Right, and then he also talks about your wives and your houses. Divorce in the United States is something that's crippling us not only affects the husband and the wife, but it also affects the children. At a young age, their foundation is ripped from them. Mom and dad are no longer together. So that says, all right, as I go along, it's all right. If I don't like it, I can get away from it. I can divorce it. Right? God made a covenant. And here, Exodus chapter 2, verses... 
24. And it said, So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. He made a covenant, a covenant with them before. And when they were hurt, and when they were broken, and when they were crying out to God, is when God said, you know what, I made a covenant with you. I'm going to deliver you. That was way before they were in there, and he said, I'm going to deliver you. God will never go void on his word. I found a statistic online that said 40 to 50% of marriages, married couples in the United States divorce. 40 to 50% of married couples in the United States divorce. Remember, we're not only fighting for these foundational things, but also for eternity. People go two places, heaven and hell. There's no, no way around that. What fires me up is, I want someone to say, hey, thanks for stepping out. Because now I'm in heaven. I never want to hear, you never told me. You never told me. Never, ever want to hear that. That breaks my heart. So I went online and I was like, you know what? Find some, 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 some statistics for you guys. I always think, <laughs> hold on, here we go. <laughs> ah. So I always think that statistics are pretty awesome and sometimes absolutely horrible to look at. So one is the fact that on average there are 121 suicides per day. And since I've been talking, there's been one, one every 13 minutes in the United States. Suicide is the second leading cause of deaths for ages 10 to 24. So for them to come up with that, they had to have someone that was 10 years old commit suicide to come up with that age group. They go with the youngest number. Someone at 10 years old decided life wasn't worth living. Suicide is the second leading cause for college-age youth in ages 12 to 18. That was 2015. More teenagers and young adults die from suicide than, any, than from cancer, heart disease, AIDS, birth defects, strokes, pneumonia, emphysema, chronic lung disease combined. All those combined, suicide leads that. This one, I cried when I got this one, is... Every day in our nation, there are an average of over 5,240 attempts by young people grades 7 to 12 to take their life. That's 1,912,600 attempts a year. It's a million people that say, you know what, it's not worth living. That's just an attempt. Another one that gets me is Planned Parenthood could committed 323,999 abortions. That is their confirmed number from 2014 to 2015. And they can't come up with an exact number, but there are out of approximately 926,200 abortions nationwide. I saw another statistic. There's 14 million abortions worldwide a year. Aren't you guys thinking these are hard to come against? These things are hard to fight for. With God, there's nothing that's impossible. 
And I looked up our homeless population in the United States. 2014, 1.49 million people used homeless shelters, and 578,424 were recorded as being without shelter. 550,000 un uncompanioned single youth and young adults under the age of 24 experienced a homelessness episode of longer than one week. And in 2016, over 900 homeless or transient students in El Dorado County. So those kids weren't able to go to school because they don't have they don't have an address. They don't have a physical address. Schools won't accept them without that. Now, last last one. And this always gets me. This always fires me up. I want to. I want to just get these guys, but sex trafficking. There are approximately 800,000 or 80% of trafficking involves sex exploitation and 19% labor. According to the U.S. State Department, 600,000 to 800,000 people are trafficked across international borders every year, of which 80% are females and half are children. The average age of a teen enters the sex trade in the U.S. is 12 to 14. Many victims are runaway girls who are sexually abused as children. California harbors three of the FBI's 13 highest child sex trafficking areas, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and San Diego. Human trafficking is the third largest international crime industry with $32 billion every year behind illegal drugs and arms trafficking. $15.5 billion is made in industrialized countries, which is first world countries. Between 14,500 and 17,500 people are trafficked into the United States each year. These are just some of the things that we face in our world today. So what moves you? A year ago, actually, on 129.16, I sat in a Starbucks all by myself because I'm a loner. I sat there, and I was reading my Bible. I really was trying to get away from people. I was frustrated that morning. And um, it was a Wednesday morning. It was right before I was going to go to work. I just wanted to get a coffee, read my Bible, and leave people alone. They didn't want anything to do with anyone. I sat there, and I was reading, and I stopped, and I looked up, and seven people were in Starbucks line. Jesus, but on my heart is like, do they know me? That moment, I came to the realization that I don't know everyone around me. I don't know where they're going. I'm a Christian. I want to see them go there. But I don't even talk to them. I'm scared to. I didn't want to stand up. I was frozen by fear in that chair. I was afraid of making a fool of myself in front of seven people. But at that point, I said, you know what? Left, I was on my way to work. I said, I'll be a fool for anyone now. Amen. So I wrote this, and it's called As a Lion. How can we as Christians not want a voice in, the, in this world? We're empowered to do great things, yet we sit in our workplaces, small businesses, schools, anywhere, and we watch people walk by that have lost hope. Yeah. Felt like giving up, thinking that they're not worth it. I've been told that they're useless, ugly, and will never amount to anything. As I sit here, I'm getting prayer requests for a kid 
that made one wrong choice and almost ended his life. I see and ask myself, how come he did it? Did he want to die? Was he just being a teenager? Did he fall into peer pressure like almost every teen does? I started thinking about this and realized we can't save them all, but we can sure try. But what really made me mad and frustrated is that we as Christians are like lions. We have no fear. We were made to rule any and every environment that we're put in. In Proverbs 30, 30, a lion which is mighty among beasts and does not turn away from anything. The lion is known as the king of the jungle, and when a pride of lions are together, nothing can stop them. There's actually, doing a little studying, but there's actually a group of lions in Africa, a couple groups, that will take down an elephant over time. And there's other groups that will actually take down giraffes as a pride. Together, they'll conquer those Goliaths in their lives. Mm. I didn't even mean to relate that, but that related together. Awesome. (laughs) A male lion's roar can be heard on the plains of Africa from over five miles away. So So if this is true, then how come us as Christians have come come when we go out on the plains are like little kittens, scared of our own shadow, and we're scared of what the gazelles and sheep will say about us. Why is that? <laughs> we have forgotten that we are lions. I'm thinking back and realizing that sometimes I am a kitten. Don't look like it, but I am a kitten. <laughs> and scared when something comes my way. I will never say that I have been bold and never feared anything in my life. That would be a false statement. I sat there sitting this, but today I'm sitting here and decide that I am tired of being a kitten playing in the jungle. I want to be a lion and show people the light and the power that's inside of me. That moment I decided to be a David. I was ready to face any circumstance, anything that I was presented with, whatever environment I was in, I was going to face it. I know who was with me. What if we as Christians got our roar back? What kind of impact would we have on our community, on our families, on our friends, even people we don't know? I want my life to impact people's lives that I may not only that I may only meet once. People that might only ever see see love from you because they will never get it from their family and their friends. Those are the people that we as Christians are called to reach. The people that are broken and hurting, that feel worthless. The people that the world will destroy without a Savior. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So I saw as he's walking like a roaring lion, we have to be louder. We as Christians, there's a lot more of us than there's the devil. And we have to roar. If we unite and we start roaring against him, what's going to happen? Last time I checked, I have the power to speak life and death over any situation. Same power that's in him is in me. Last time I checked, he beat the devil. Quick story, me and Brandon were doing children's church one morning and we were doing the sword of the spirit. So we got a watermelon. We asked the kids the lies of the devil and we put them on the watermelon. 
right? Chop up a watermelon, chop up lies of the devil. So, when I heard the kids tell us what people told them and the things that the devil was telling them at such a young age, it broke my heart. They were told that they weren't smart, that they were no good, that nobody loved them. This one girl had a slight deformation of her hand and things that the people called her broke my heart. Because that is our next generation. I've heard it said and it impacted me is gen- freedom is one generation away from extinction. The devil knows that too. He knows if I can get the next generation, they're going to be enslaved. Until people rise up and say, you know what, that's enough. I tell you this because lots of times people think that they are the only person that is being attacked. That is a false statement. When you're a lion, you will always be attacked because you own territory that the devil wants. It says in the Bible that the devil roams the earth seeking whom he may devour. So when you're a lion, you will always be defending and attacking the territory you already have. So when you get so much territory, it's hard to defend anymore and be effective. It's a lot easier to do when you have a pride or a church with you. So when the devil comes to destroy and take over the land you already have, it's a lot easier to defend. So if it's a lot easier to defend, that means it's a lot easier to attack. What if as a church we united and took away the land the devil is trying to take? What could be accomplished for the kingdom of God? We as a church need to rise up and defend what we have right now. Then keep advancing. We can't step back. We can't just watch our community as it is taken over by this line. We need to rise up as a church and take back what is ours. Envision our victory. I think the reason I wrote this is I'm tired of seeing our kids almost (laughs) sick. Tired of almost seeing our kids almost die because of this lion. Because we know he's there. But we're too afraid to fail. Or we're worried about what people will think of us. The people. We are lions. And we're losing sheep and ground because of the opinions of sheep. As Christians and as a church, we need to take back the land that has been given to us. We are lions and we are feared by our enemies. Another story came to me as I was reading as Moses. He was moved. Let's turn to Exodus 2 again. It's in Exodus. And let's do verse... Verse 11. It said, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. I'm guilty of this, but I get caught up as being a Christian. I get so confined to my world. I never go out and look at my brethren what they're hurting for. Because the devil knows if I can get him so captivating what's going on inside of him and what's going on in him, he won't ever look out and he won't ever see the harvest. It 
And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When Pharaoh heard of this, he wanted Moses dead. So Moses fled and started a new life. When one day he saw a bush on fire that was not burning, and God started speaking to him and told him what he wanted, what he wanted Moses to do, and that was to deliver the Hebrews from the Egyptians. Find the worship team, come back up real quick. Moses may have run from the Egyptians because he killed an Egyptian. God can still use you no matter what you are or what you have done or who you are. God never looked at someone and said, you're not qualified to do that. God never calls the qualified. He qualifies the called. Moses was moved before by what was happening to his people. And that set a spark in him. That could, be, that could be fueled into a desire to see his people set free from Pharaoh's grip and slavery of his people. All these stories have in common is that they had a victory. And a county and nations were changed because a single person was moved by what was going on around him. They saw their people being oppressed and decided to stand up and fight. And they claimed the victory that the Lord gave them. When we as Christians stop fighting for the victory, start fighting from it is when we see the victory. The moment we stand up and we say, Goliath, you never had this. My God did. You never had this. The devil mock you. Declare against him. No, this is my victory and this is what I'm going to do. You have a grip on my children? Not anymore. I have a grip on my family, not anymore. You're trying to tear me and my wife apart, not anymore. Envision your victory. If I can just encourage you guys tonight, it's just to step out. When God's people are moved by great, moved great things happen. Start running towards the fight like David. What I found awesome and interesting is David was sitting there. No one else would even come at Goliath. David stepped out, started, started, totally spacing on the word. Totally started punking him, basically. He was like, come on. Goliath's like, you're just a little guy. Right? Just a little guy. He declared that and he ran at him. He didn't walk, he ran at that problem. He ran to the victory. Said, I'm going to claim it. Jesus fought the fight. We just need to claim the rewards. Don't freeze like the Israelites, but run towards the fight. I heard it said, this got, this got deep on the inside. It says, everybody has the opportunity of a lifetime, but it has to be ceased in the lifetime of the opportunity. You don't ever want to miss out on an opportunity to talk to someone, because that may be the opportunity of their lifetime. Don't miss out on what God has got, has got for you. And as I was doing this, I heard one of the songs that they 
the worship team was going to play, and it was fire fall down. That's such a powerful statement. So we get that fire on the inside of us, what is going to stop us? Nothing's going to stop us. When we start moving forward and taking ground from the devil, saying, no, you can't come into my marriage because I'm on a foundation. No, you can't have my kids because they're mine. They're the children of God. How much more do we have to take before we see the people and they're so oppressed that we actually move? It fired me up. I just want to go on the offensive now. I don't care who says I'm a fool or you're crazy or you're ugly. I get that a lot. Just kidding. I don't. I don't. (laughs) No, but I'm tired of sitting back. Pastor said, let's get in the game. What moves you? When you see God's people, what moved you? What moved you? And as they sing this song, fire fall down. Ask God to put a fire in your soul. Give you his eyes for his people. Ask him, break my heart for what breaks yours. I will swear on my life, if you do that, it will change and revolutionize your life. Because God looks everywhere and sees people, and those are his people that are oppressed by the devil. And they're going two places. And we're that instrument. I, I heard this said, and it's so awesome, is a Christian, you're a bridge. You're bridge from someone not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus. And bridges are walked on. Bridges are walked on. As Christians, we have a foundation to be able to support that. God said, I'll never give you something that you cannot handle. So coming with that, tonight, I just wanted to close it out in, in worship. As they sing this song, make it your heart's cry. Set a fire inside of me. Let it fall down. Ask God to break your heart for what breaks yours.